Our First Baptist Family's mission statement is to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and to lead all others in a joyful life with Him. And to fit very closely with that is our theme for this season, Go and Tell. We hope everything that we provide, all the resources, encourage you, equip you to do just that. Go and Tell. Um, it is uh, so good to be together again. Um, we didn't meet last week in this space, so I didn't have an opportunity to, to preach and teach. Um, if you were with us on Christmas, our Christmas Eve in worship, just what a wonderful time to celebrate the arrival of, of Jesus together. It's good. It's good. Um, just... Uh, one thing I want to draw your attention to in the life of the church. Um, we have something that we call all church retreat. It happens at the end of January. Uh, you can see those dates, January 26th through 28th. This is one of my family's favorite things to do because we get together outside of San Antonio um, at uh, HEB encampment, campgrounds, and we just fellowship with one another as church family. Not, not everyone's able to be there, but those who are able to be there, it is just a wonderful time of fellowship and encouragement. If you've never come to All Church Retreat or you've just recently started attending, I would strongly encourage you to come. It is a wonderful, wonderful time. So put that on your calendar. You can go ahead and register at the link that's on the screen, but we would love for you um, to be a part of that. If you are new to us, my name is Danny. I'm one of the pastors here at First Baptist Church and have the privilege of preaching in this space and leading you in worship. Uh, it's something that I delight to do as one of the pastors here. Um, and our mission as a church family is to follow our Lord Jesus Christ and to lead all others to a joyful life with him. And I want my small role in this church family to encourage you and equip you to do that more and more. And not just as individuals, but together. We are his church in the heart of the city. And we all ought to join him in what he's doing here and beyond. And I'm glad of the role that I have in giving shape to that and encouraging uh, you to do that. If you are new with us today, one, let me say thank you for coming. We're delighted that you've chose to worship with us. And second, um, we'd love to know that you were with us. And if you could let us know uh, that by filling out the little card that is in front of you or near you, again, dropping it off in one of the little bins we have around the room or handing it to me. Um, or you can do that online at fbcsa.org slash connect. In fact, if you just go to our homepage up at the top, you'll see connect here. You can click on the, that link and go fill out a little bit of that information. Um, that way we can know that you're here with us and it gives us an opportunity to connect with you at a later time. But we're really, really thrilled that you're here. Uh, continue to give to be a part of what God is doing through this church family. You can do that online as well by going to fbcsa.org slash give. 
Will you stand with me? And we are gonna read just one verse today out of the passage that we are, have been in this past week. This is Matthew chapter six, verse one. Let's read this together. Watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others for you will lose the reward from your, hev- your father in heaven. Let's pray. Just verse one. But y'all did really great. That was really great. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And we're grateful, Lord, that you have spoken to us through words on a page, inspiring men to put those words down by the power of your spirit. Lord, we need it. And may your words shape our life as we seek to follow your son every single day. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, you may be seated. Uh, We've been in the Sermon on the Mount for a few weeks now. We started off with the Beatitudes, and the Beatitudes is a clear picture. Jesus is shaping for us a picture of what the kingdom people look like, what they value most, what do they hold on to. Uh, Just really kind of a legend for us on how to navigate this kingdom life. And then he moves quickly into describing what happens in a sinful and broken world when a group of people the people of God, the kingdom of God, live in that kind of way, capturing those values and the Beatitudes. Well, they become salt and light. They season the world around them. They bring transformation and change and new life. They draw attention to God. Well, if you're anything like me, I, I hope that takes shape in my own life. Don't you? I mean, I, I want to be a person in the kingdom of God, of the kingdom of God, and I wanna be a part of a people who are God's people who want to increase and in holding on to those values that we see in the beatitude, to be poor in spirit, to seek after the righteousness of God, to be humble and meek. I long more and more for all those things to take shape in my life. If there's one thing that we can be certain about as we go through this great sermon is that Jesus really cares about your inner life. Uh, Jesus is really concerned about what's happening in your heart, in your mind, the, the things that are important to you and the motivations uh, that, that you have in your life, the desires that you have, the things that you long for. Jesus is really concerned about what's going on in your heart. And we see that in this passage, much like we've already seen it in previous, previous passages. So in some ways, In many ways, the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' guide to the inner life of a person who's longing and seeking after God. What begins to happen in that person's mind and heart? What does that look like for us? It reminded me of of Psalm 19, 14, um, of this longing and need to consider what happens in our heart Psalm 19, 14 says this, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. This is not some new idea. In fact, the, the law was to guide the people, people's hearts and minds the moment God gave it to them. But all along the way, God has been saying, I'm concerned with your inner life. And if you jump to Psalm chapter 24, it says this, Who may climb the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? Only those whose hands and hearts are pure, who do not worship idols and never tell lies. 
God is, is very concerned with what happens inside your heart, what you think about, what you desire, and what motivates you. This is precisely why Jesus called out the Pharisees. Remember near the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, listen, if, if you wanna do this kingdom of God thing, your righteousness has to surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees. And so he calls them out here in verse one, the, the verse um, that we just read. He says, don't do your deeds publicly to be admired by others for you lose the reward from your father in heaven. And he was pointing out those religious elite who had developed their own traditions and customs, which resulted primarily in drawing attention to themselves, drawing attention to themselves. And Jesus says, hey, be warned. Don't go about doing your spiritual good deeds in that kind of way. Don't do good things just for the sake of man's praise, to get noticed, to be recognized or admired by others alone or to be respected by the crowd in your life. He says, if that's your only ambition and the reason why you do spiritual things, he says, that's a warning because that's all the rewards you're gonna get. Your notoriety is the only reward you're gonna get. You're not gonna receive anything from the Father. And Jesus will call that kind of life, those kind of motivations to do your good deeds just so that you can be admired by others or exalted by others. Oh, wow, look how spiritual Danny is. If that's your only motivation, Jesus describes that as hypocrisy. He'll say, don't be a hypocrite like people that are motivated by just the praise of the men and women around them. Don't put on a show. Don't pretend your spirituality. Don't be a fraud. He gives three examples um, of how this has been taking shape uh, among the religious elite, or even those who might not have been a part of the religious elite, but were just in those kind of patterns. He gives an example of giving, praying, and fasting. In Matthew chapter six, verse two, he says, when you give to someone a need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. There was no social security in the first century in Jerusalem. The only safety net was through the charity that others would provide through the local synagogue. And so apparently the religious elite would go around when they would give and would parade their giving so that people would see just how charitable they were. They weren't concerned about meeting the needs of the people who would be the beneficiaries of the charity. They were more concerned about what people thought of them when they gave the charity. And so the image is of this, this maybe this metal pot that was somewhere around their worship or time of gathering and they would go out of their way to fling the coins into the pot so it would rattle around so everyone would take notice as to who gave. And Jesus says, don't, don't put on a show like that. Don't be a hypocrite who is just giving just so that you can be exalted for your giving. 
And he uses prayer as an example. And in chapter six, verse five, he says, when you pray, again, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. Man, he really, he really has a way with words. And that might be true of a person. A person can have a way with words when they pray and pray authentically and sincerely. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about the religious elite who are being propped up by the praise of the people and they would stand on street corners or in, in perfectly crafted prayers and many of the prayers in the Jewish world were prescribed, wonderful, rich with tradition, but they would take those in special places and do them in a way to draw attention to themselves. There's no sincerity as to calling out before the Lord and seeking the Lord in their prayer and being honest in their prayer is about, I long for the praise of those who hear me praying. He gives one more example. In verse 16, he says, and when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do. Don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do. They would go around when they were fasting and put uh, ash on their face and wear tattered clothes and be sunken and, and moan and groan about how hungry they are. So people would recognize their fasting. There was only one day out of the Jewish calendar where everyone was called to fast. But um, at some point in their history, they added two customary days, Tuesdays and Thursdays, uh, where everybody was encouraged to fast. But they wanted to make sure the religious elite, the hypocrites, who were only interested in the praise of men and women, would go around making sure that everyone knew they were fasting. I want you to see just how spiritual I am. And they were engrossing themselves with the praise of men. This was a very lucrative business for them to be exalted as the spiritual elite. I would describe that in in another way. That's a form of spiritual forgery a spiritual signature intended to get something that doesn't belong to you. In John chapter 12, um, in verses 41 through 43, John describes this scene of some people, some of them who were part of the religious elite were getting, uh, were beginning to see what Jesus was like and in his authoritative teaching and his miracles And they were beginning to believe that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was sent from the Lord. But this is what it says about them, that they were reluctant to come out into the open. Why? In verse 43, for they loved human praise more than they praised God. They loved the praise of men and women. Um, They, it was a form of spiritual forgery this giving so everyone could see, this praying so everyone could recognize how lofty their words were, this fasting so people could see how spiritual were. It was a form of spiritual forgery to receive the praise that didn't belong to them at all. Hypocrisy. And that temptation for all of us is really strong, isn't it? There is nothing wrong to be affirmed for what God is doing in your life and the good that is being done through your life. 
There's nothing wrong with that at all until that's the only thing that you seek above all else. That you long for the praise of men and women rather than God being praised through your life. One says, oh, thank you so much that you recognize that I'm a spiritual person. The other one says, thanks be to God. Whatever you see in me is fruit from the Lord. It's not of me. And I'm grateful that it's there. But aren't we all drawn into that kind of temptation? I mean, I'm a pastor. I'm expected to be further down the road than you, right? That I'm supposed to be the spiritual guru in the room, that my activities here, even preaching and praying in front of you, but the temptation even, even in me is to seek the praise of my listeners. And if I'm not careful, that's all that I long for. Jesus says, watch out, that's all the reward you're gonna get. Danny, you did a really good job today. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I want you to affirm the, the, the shepherds in your life, the people in your life that are encouraging you. Don't hold back. But man, if, if my motivation for preaching and praying and reading the scriptures in front of you and guiding you and leading the scriptures together is for you to walk away and me, me to walk away thinking, man, they really think I did a great job. Jesus says, Jesus says, be careful. In fact, I would say even further, Paul, when he wrote to Timothy, he says, there's a kind of godliness, a kind of righteousness that looks godly but has zero power. 2 Timothy 3, 5. They act religious. They put their spiritual good deeds on display. They act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that, Paul says. Stay away from spiritual pretenders, Paul says. But it robs us of power when, when those are our only motivations, the praise and worship of others, that self-centered and self-exaltation, that idolatry. Why in the world, and it should be obvious, but why does that kind of motivation rob us of power? Well, the first reason is because it's faithless. It's faithless. And the second reason is it's lonely. It's faithless because um, that kind of longing for the praise of others, that's our motivation for doing the spiritually good things. It takes our eyes from the Lord and puts it primarily on ourselves and maybe other people. It moves us away from the heart of God and into a life of self-centeredness and self-exaltation. There's a power in that. There's no power in and of ourselves for transformation, for good. And it's also incredibly lonely. Pretending to be a spiritual giant so that you can be recognized by others leaves you terribly alone. You don't build connections with people when all you do is wear a mask. You just move yourself further and further into isolation. Uh, This is really why Jesus is serious about this. He says, this will not do. This will not do. Because it robs your life of power and it keeps your heart far from God. 
And at the end of the day, it results in terrible loneliness. It's kind of like the husband who wants the world to see and know that he is such a great husband. So in public, at church, around his Bible study group, he praises his wife. He snuggles up next to her. He holds her hand. He serves her. He gets her coffee. But when he gets home, he ignores her or controls her. In front of everybody, he wants to be known as this loving servant full of grace. But in the quiet, secret places of his life, he ignores and frustrates his wife. That won't do. That won't do. That, that completely disconnects his relationship from his wife. And if you, if you believe scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, 3 verse 7, sorry, it says, listen, men, you need to take care of your wives because the Lord might not listen to your prayers. And so that kind of hypocrisy disconnects us from one another and from the Lord. It just will not do. Jesus says, no, don't do that. Be warned, because that's all the reward you're gonna get is the praise of other people. God has called us into kingdom friendship of knowing God and being known by him and all of who we are and being transformed by him in that, that, that close-knit fellowship with God. That's why we were made, made in the image of God, is that we might be known and walk with fellowship with him and with others. It's our own autonomy where we walk away from God that leads to our isolation and disconnectedness. And Jesus says, don't give in to that. Don't be this spiritual fraud where you're just exalting yourself because the end result is isolation, disconnection, not knowing the kind of relationship God has made you for. The good news is that's not where Jesus stays, right? He gives a prescription on how to move forward. He does it in every single example. I'll just read one. In verse three, but when you give to someone in need, Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private or in secret, some of your translations, and your father who sees everything will reward you. Now, the interesting thing for me is that what Jesus doesn't say, he doesn't say, okay, um, I know some of you are doing all these spiritual things for all the wrong reasons. Get your motivations in check. Make, have your, you need to get your heart right. But what he doesn't say is, okay, wait to get your heart right and then give. Wait to get your heart right and then pray. Uh, wait to get your heart right and then fast. He doesn't say wait for the right feelings to show up and then do the spiritual good deed or the spiritual discipline. No, that's not what he says at all. He says, I want you to move your public display into the quiet, secret places of your life. That's his prescription. He says, you wanna know how to move out a spiritual forgery, how to move away from hypocrisy? Take your good deeds home in your closet in the secret places of your life and do them there before you do them out there. 
reorient everything. That is a perfect path forward because going to the secret places of our life, it allows us to be honest. In the secret places of your life, in the quiet places of your life, at home, in your room, where you're praying and carrying God through his word or where you're ministering to someone in those secret places of your life. It's there that you can be really honest with the Lord. You don't have to pretend with God there. You don't have to wear a mask before the Lord. He already knows the ins and outs of your whole life. You don't have to pretend to have it all together. You can confess your, your fears and anxieties and your hurts and your temptations. You can be fully yourself before the Lord. That's why Jesus says, take it home. Quit parading around and go home and be honest. Go home and be honest. Just unveil yourself. The Lord already knows who you are. And it's in that place of where we unveil our truest self that we can also communicate our deepest longings. Lord, I'm not comfortable with a heart that only thinks about myself. I I don't want to long for the praises of men and women. I want to long for your affirmation. I want to be yours. I want my heart to be yours. It's in those quiet, honest places and all the messiness of our life that we can say, Lord, take this heart of mine, this mind of mine and change it. I'm tired of pretending out there that I have it all together when I'm a mess. And Lord, can you take this mess and do something with it? I mean, that's why Jesus said at the beginning of his ministry, well, even in this sermon, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Just come with all your stuff. I know what's going on in your heart. You don't have to pretend with me. But I came to to remove that burden, to to redeem your heart and your mind and your soul and your life. I, I came to transform you so that you can long for the things you were made to long for, to to have renewed fellowship with God that you were made for and to have the kind of connections with other people you were made for. I'll tell you what, individually, there is no other place to no other person that I would want to take my insecurities, my fears, my sin and brokenness, my false pretenses, my temptation than Jesus who gave his life that I might find forgiveness and who rose from the grave that I can have the hope that this can change. Jesus says, go to the secret, quiet places of your life and do spiritual good there. Work out those disciplines there. It doesn't mean they don't ever show up here. They will. But when they show up, they'll be real. There are two things in closing. There are two things that Jesus says in addition to what he says that the result of taking it private, taking it to the secret place that will happen. The first one is in verse verse 4, verse 6 and 18. He says over and over again, what you do in private, God will see you. God will see you. In a Bible study this morning, someone in our Bible study said, gosh, it's just like being a child who's always longing to be seen by their parents. They're always clamoring to get their parents. That's their focus. They want to be seen and heard by mom and dad. Isn't that true? 
And Jesus says, I can affirm your deepest longing is to be known and known by your creator and have honest fellowship and connections with others. You don't do that by parading around false spirituality and pretending. You experience being known when you go into the quiet places of your life. Know that when you pray in quiet, when you go into God's word in the secret places of your life, when you give and serve others in those private places of your life, you are seen and known. What affirmation. Not only that, but he says, and God rewards. On the other side, when you're just doing things so other people will praise you, Jesus says that's all the rewards you're gonna get. That, oh, that a boy, good job. But here he says, you will get reward from God. Wow, what a healthy perspective that we need in our life. I want all that God has to give. And we know what those things are because Jesus has already told us in the Beatitudes. Every Beatitude was laced and connected to a reward or promise. Most of them that are yet to come but Jesus says, if you want to be the real deal, if, if, you, if you want to have the kind of heart that, that longs after God and knows transformation, then you, it needs to be real. And it's real when you take it into the secret, quiet places of your life. And it's there that God changes you, he sees you, and he rewards you. He rewards you. Mainly with himself. Fellowship with himself. Max Lucado, our, one of our local pastors here, has been for decades, said this in his book, Just Like Jesus. He says, God rewards those who seek him, not those who seek doctrine of religion or systems or creeds. Many settle for these lesser passions, but the reward goes to those who settle for nothing less than Jesus himself. Jesus says, if you want all of me, take off the mask. Take it home into the secret, quiet places of your life and God will see it and bless it and you will know fellowship with me. John Stott said it like this, God has little patience with triflers or people who play around or play act spirituality and godliness. God rewards those who seek him. Pastor Max warns us that we can't reduce Jesus to a list of doctrinal bullet points or a well-crafted meme. That's, that's theological theater. But real seeking Jesus happens whether it's in front of people or behind closed doors in those secret, quiet places. Seek Jesus, the person. He's, he's more than just really sound doctrinal truths. He's a person who is sent to redeem you and to walk with you. There's a full-scale war against real honest pursuits in the secret quiet places of our life. There is a full-scale war against that. From young to middle to old, every moment of our lives in our culture, every nook and cranny is being filled with something. Our busy schedules our devices that suck us into a fake online world. Every nook and cranny of our life is filled with those visual and audible noises. Do you think that's a coincidence? I don't think so. 
I think there is a strategy in the unseen world to rob us of the quiet, secret places in our life. So even though we might be well-intended, we never have the opportunity or the mental energy, emotional energy, and the time to give ourselves to seeking God in those places. Let's just put a screen in your hand every moment of the day. And I'm guilty just like the rest of us are. But there's a strategy there. When Jesus says, go home into the secret, quiet places of your life where God will see you and there, there, you will know God's reward, the world says, no, let me give you something else. Seeking God honestly in the secret places of our lives is a quest to rediscover our humanity, why we were created to begin with, why we were made to know and to walk with God especially in the midst of a sinful and broken world that we can't change until Jesus, Jesus comes back. Obviously, the church has, a, has an impact. We're salt and light after all. But we can't whisk away the brokenness and hurt in our world. But we were made to know and follow him, to travel with him purposefully and intentionally, to fellowship with him, kingdom friendship, More recently, in the past few years, I've really enjoyed New Year's resolutions. I, I haven't used that word. I haven't used that word as much. In our home, we talk about choosing a word or phrase. That's not novel. A lot of you do that. I think God gives us these kinds of seasonal markers to reorient our life, to repurpose our lives, to be a marker that says, we're gonna strive and move forward in this direction this year. And I think what a perfect opportunity and the new year to set our sights on new things. I wanna share with you my, my New Year's resolution. My New Year's resolution is to relearn what it means to follow Jesus in all parts of my life. Let me follow him. From the quiet, secret places of my life to my closest relationships and friendships and my public life as a pastor, I long for spiritual authenticity and realness. It doesn't mean that everything before in 2023 was not real and authentic, but I want to relearn it, re-experience in brand new ways. I want my spiritual life to be more than a post on Instagram or a, a, a meme, a clever meme that really sticks it to somebody. I want it to be real and authentic. I want to be on my device less and be still more. I want to regain a sense of purposeful time to really be present with people and open the door to my life to connect with others. I know that sounds like a lot. But will you join me? Will you join me in 2024 in moving beyond the spiritual masks, some of which we don't really intend to wear we just don't have the time to fit him in. Would you commit with me, be resolute to walk with Jesus, to put down the device more, uh, to seek him and seek fellowship with others? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace towards us. Thank you for the words of Jesus. Lord, help us to seek you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Help us to love 
you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Lord, we entrust our hearts and minds to you. Lord, if we're followers of Jesus, we know you're in the work of changing our heart and mind. We're grateful for that. Lord, help us to be resolute and being very intentional with what we do with our time and our space and how we seek you and how we make ourselves present to others. Help us along the way. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen.